Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Devin Wardell-Cook, who is the executive producer of the Inclusive Innovation Challenge, which is an MIT initiative that awards over a million and a half dollars to technology-driven organizations who are reinventing the future of work and making a more equitable economy in the process. It's a cool project, and um, I'm happy to talk to Devin. Devin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, would you take a moment and more deeply introduce yourself? Tell us how you got here. Absolutely. So I, you know, I grew up um, outside New York City, where a lot of the the people in my town were um, commuting into New York, and so I had that uh, suburban upbringing experience where I was seeing people that were working in a business environment, um, but also saw that you know, business could really be used for for positive purpose through the work that my dad did. And he was worked in hospital administration and um, largely nonprofit um, environments. But I also had the good fortune to spend a lot of time up in Maine in the summers in pretty rural areas and seeing a totally different way of life and different and career choices that people have made um, as entrepreneurs, often sole proprietors. Um, and so seeing those two very different sides of the coin, I really wanted to more deeply explore, you know, how do um, you take that very entrepreneurial mindset of people living in areas where there aren't as many career opportunities as you would find in a metropolitan area, but really use that entrepreneurial spirit um, to create positive purpose and to ensure that there's there's better work for, for the people in that community. Um, and so that, that led me on a on a winding-ish path, I guess. You know, I spent some time as a Fulbright scholar in India. Uh, researching entrepreneurship in the the textile artisan community and really saw how that could drive um, economic development. Um, worked in a number of different startups, um, really getting a, a hands-on experience in entrepreneurship and, and then ultimately decided to go back to school and I went to MIT to get my MBA, um, primarily because of MIT's strong focus on you know a mission-driven life and making sure to make the world a better place, um, coupled with um, this focus on entrepreneurship. And and frankly, when I got there, I was a bit of a, a luddite myself. I really was not as excited about technology for technology's sake um, upon arriving. So it was a little bit of culture shock. Um, but the longer I was there, you know, it's, it's impossible to be at MIT and, and not get excited by the promise of technologies. And you know, behind every door and in every lab, there's something truly incredible going on. And so ultimately, once I uh, graduated, I decided to just stick around and find ways to combine those various threads of my background focused on economic development, entrepreneurship, and ultimately using technology to drive those two areas. Um, and I was probably unique among my classmates in that I realized a lifelong dream to move up to rural Maine. Um, and so I am one of these people that is now trying to take advantage of um, technology to make sure there is a good future of work for people in more rural areas um, while getting down to MIT every other week or so um, to really run this, this project. So I work remotely, but you know, very fortunate to be in a position where I'm driving a, a more positive future of work for people through our work and, and hopefully in my, my home community as well, where some of those needs for a better future of work really exist. So, so, so that, that's, that's kind of a great top level view. What are some of the, the more Granular details. What do you actually do in a in a workday? What's what's the work like? 
Sure. So I can tell you a little bit about the Inclusive Innovation Challenge um, to start, and that can help to, to round out and explain what it is that I, I do on a regular basis. So we are a program within the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy where some of the research that comes out of that initiative looks at digital technology and, and the progress that it's really created uh, in many different facets within business, within the economy and society. But we really recognize this huge challenge, which is that not everybody is enjoying the benefits of digital technology equally. There are people that are very clearly being left behind. Um, and we can see that in the fact that you know, wages really have stagnated. They've, they've kicked up a little bit, but um, they are, are practically at the same level as they were in like the 1980s. I mean, unemployment is very, very low. I mean, it's an 18-year low, as was announced today. Um, but many of those jobs are people that they can't even make ends meet. And we're seeing this huge concentration of wealth um, among a very, very small percent of the population. So it's all of those issues that we're looking at and saying, you know, that is a problem um, that's going to have long, long-range uh, negative impacts. And we wanted to say, well, how can we actually drive solutions? How can we help to find solutions to those problems? And so we launched the Inclusive Innovation Challenge to be a now over a million and a half dollar awards program where we are looking across the world for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial organizations that are specifically using technology to make sure that work works better for people, um, particularly people who are at the middle and base of the economy and working jobs that generate a, an average or below uh, income. And so that's what, what our, our passion and purpose is is to find those solutions that can help those, those people, um, specifically as launched by entrepreneurs. So the work itself, to answer your question, for me, it's really building partnerships with as many organizations as we can to get the word out to those entrepreneurs um, and encourage them to apply to our organization to our program. Um, it's then making sure that we are uh, delivering those, um, those things that we promised to those winning organizations. You know, it's certainly prize money, um, but it's more than that. You know, it's making sure that we're making them connected to whether it's the funders they need, whether it's customers, and anyone within the MIT ecosystem that we can engage with and, and really beyond the MIT ecosystem as well and to help those entrepreneurs be successful. And so a lot of my time is spent making sure that we are continue to accelerate the success of those entrepreneurs um, and ultimately you know, figure out how, how are their business models working, how can we help them work better, and then try to you know, extrapolate that information and spread that to entrepreneurs that haven't necessarily won a prize, but that can use what we've learned to help themselves. And so that's, that's kind of what my day-to-day big-ticket activities look like. Uh, but there's a lot more that goes into it, especially as we've been expanding in the last year or two. So a lot, a lot going on on our side. So, so I want to drill down just a little bit more about your definition of inclusion. When in my world, mm. which is HR technology, um, diversity and inclusion are, are often paired as a bundle with diversity meaning um, sort of the array and inclusion meaning 
making it feel like it's okay to be in the organization. So inclusion has this very definite membership in the organization feel. And I think that, that, that maybe when you're talking about inclusion, you're talking about something larger that is more like fuller participation in the overall economy than some sort of specific organizational mm-hmm. Um, Is that that a reasonable way to to, to think about what you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. And when we talk about inclusion, we're thinking really economic inclusion and making sure that people have um, the means to engage in the economy if they they so choose, right? Um, And right now, it's not clear if people can. The mobility in the U.S. is really at all-time low. You know, if you are born into a family that is lower income, your odds of getting into the next social and economic level are very, very slim, um, simply by nature of the, the structures that we've, we've put in place in the country. And so what we think about is you know, how do we make sure that people can work and have opportunity that's going to sustain them and their families. Um, and so that being said, you know, the inclusive innovation has a lot of different definitions, frankly, I think, of, across the, the space. People define it in, in different ways. But for us, and the, the reality is that economic inclusion, uh, you really can't ignore some of the more demographic inclusion and diversity issues that are at play. Um, since overwhelmingly underserved communities are those that are being left out of the economy, um, you know, the, if you want to look at it demographically from a gender perspective, you know, women still are earning less than men on average um, in underserved minority communities, you know, students of color that uh, enroll in a four-year, you know, two-year school. Of those, only 47% will actually graduate after six years. You know, there are these different issues that are ultimately economic, but have these strong underpinnings of um, of really diversity issues in the more traditional sense. So while we define inclusion economically, you can't discount the diversity piece. And that's why one of the criteria and metrics that we use to select our winning entrepreneurs um, is what we call it participation. So are you these organizations encouraging the participation of really diverse groups and underserved groups um, in the economy? So while we, we sort of dance around I think the concept of diversity in a traditional sense a little bit, it is truly at the, the core of a lot of the economic challenges we're trying to tackle. So so that's interesting. I, I don't want to wander too far down this rabbit hole, but but it seems to me that that your definition expands upon the sort of traditional civil rights uh, diversity demographic and starts to include um, uh, people who are displaced by technology, who who are largely are falling down the the economic ladder and are largely not the traditional audiences for consideration and diversity. You know, sort of the Rust Belt kind mm-hmm. of environment where where the infrastructure has been neglected and uh, the the range of opportunity for people inside of that environment is constrained. Um, uh, it seems to me that your definition includes that, which most diversity initiatives don't. Absolutely. Yeah, I and mean, what we try to do is be more encompassing, I would say, of um, 
of the different groups that might be left out of the economy due to being underserved in some way. Um, you know, I think typically, unfair, unfair, you know, white males are not those that are considered when you think diversity per se, but as we're seeing from research done by like Angus Dayton and the deaths of despair, have life expectancy for um, white males that are living primarily in places where you know, they're they're being displaced by automation, as you pointed out, um, that's a real economic problem that we have to focus on because you know people are um, not finding the employment that they need to sustain their families. There, and that is pointed to in Dayton's work as a potential real cause of these increasing mortality rates. So yes. To answer your question, we're definitely um, trying to encompass and expand on more traditional definitions of diversity, um, simply because you know we are we are aiming to be inclusive and say that you know there are real challenges that digital technology um, has sort of perpetrated, but that it can also solve if we are good shepherds of that technology and can help a, a much wider swath of people and and hopefully lift lift all boats if we can. So, so to keep this from, from I have this tendency to drift into the theoretical. To keep it from being theoretical, can you can you talk a couple examples of your winners, and so we get a clearer picture of of what meets your mark? Yeah, definitely. So, I think one of the the things that we've had to do to be clear about well, what do we mean by future work is divide the prize program into a couple different categories, um, and so. To that end, it helps us describe the different challenges really that we're facing as technology progresses. So the four categories that we have, and I can give an example of the different winners within each of those, um, are skills uh, development and opportunity matching is one, um, financial inclusion is two, income growth and job creation is three, and four is technology access. So, for example, um, with the skills and matching category, and that's really about making sure that people have the skills necessary to succeed as work changes fundamentally, and uh, and frankly, as digital technology can do more. What are the, the ways that people can actually remain really relevant and important? Because we are going to, as, as you know, the, there's naysayers, I would say. Um, but an example of one of the winners there was an organization called Launch Code, and they're based in St. Louis, but have rolled out um, free coding academies for people. You see a lot of coding academies around the world, and um, particularly in the U.S., but they're one that's been very successful in also matching people with jobs after they gain that training. Um, so they, they're a really incredible organization. Um, the income growth and job creation category, you know, Ultimately, that's what we want to see happen. We ultimately want to achieve income growth because we want better jobs for people and job creation. We want to see more jobs that are really good jobs that create more opportunity. Um, but one example of a winner there was Logistimo. Uh, they're actually based in India, but they're essentially a platform that connects truck drivers in rural areas of India that have excess shipping capacity in their trucks um, with smaller retailers in more rural areas. So by doing that, truck drivers have more work, they're delivering more goods, um, and we also create more economic opportunity and connection for the people in those rural areas who have more access to goods. So they're a really interesting organization in using a digital platform successfully. 
Uh, for technology access, and that's really to say, you know, how do we make sure that all these incredible technologies that we're seeing evolve are available to, to people that might not ultimately get to benefit from them? Um, whether it's you know, having access to the internet itself, whether it's getting more access to devices uh, so they can get on the internet, or whether it's you know, putting advanced technologies to a really positive purpose. So one of our grand prize winners last year is uh, an organization called Admit Hub. Um, they're based in Cambridge, but what they do is they take AI technology and artificial intelligence and embed it into a text messaging-based chatbot. And the essential outcome is they've got a college counselor for tens of thousands of college students um, to help them get into and through college. I mean, you know, things like answering questions on their um, financial aid, their FAFSA forms that are challenging, is making sure that they are getting to their classes um, throughout their, their time at school. But just using the technology that we think of as uh, being a good suggestion engine for you know, what kind of food we might like at the, the next restaurant. Instead, here they're putting it to purpose for getting kids through college and helping them get a good job afterwards. Um, and then lastly, financial inclusion. You know, we're seeing that there's hundreds of thousands of people around the world that are not even able to access basic financial services, often because they don't have um, any proof of credit or it's an identity card. Um, they may not um, trust the banking system. There's a lot of different reasons why people are left out of the, the financial services industry. Um, one of the companies that we awarded last year is called EFL, and they basically are a organization that uses demographic data and actuarial science to uh, assess whether organizations, very small and micro-entrepreneurs, uh, are creditworthy, and they'll then extend a loan to those organizations um, that are organizations that might not otherwise be able to get a loan. So a lot of really incredible organizations have come through our application process, you know, many more than we can even give awards to, and we would love to be able to award many more companies as we grow. Uh, but ultimately, you know, those are some examples of some really fascinating and successful companies um, that exemplify what those different challenges are that are in the future of work, and they're addressing them head-on using technology. So, so you, you keep pointing at the future of work. Can you give me a couple of bullet points about what you think the future of work looks like? Sure, sure. So, you know, one thing that we're seeing happen very, very frequently here is move toward independent work. You hear a lot about the gig economy, and that's happening um, more and more frequently that people are moving to um, a sort of free, freelance type of, of job, often leveraging a digital platform, whether it's your Uber drivers, whether it's some supplemental income from Airbnb, whether it's something like Upwork where you can get some gig work. Uh, that's a way that people are going to be able to supplement their income um, but and often have a full-time job but create a lot more flexibility. Uh, at the same time, there are some really clear challenges that come from that because we're seeing the traditional relationship between employer and employee and the social contract that goes along with that really starting to erode. I mean, so there's a lot more uncertainty if you're a gig worker. Like, where are you going to get your benefits from? Where are you going to put your retirement savings? And can you even get some 401k matching if you don't have an employer? 
So we're looking for really excellent solutions of things like portable benefits or gig um, economy unions, right, where we're making sure that uh, there is less uncertainty as people move towards this, this style of work, which has a lot of flexibility and a lot of benefits. That's one thing that we're, we're thinking a lot about. Um, another piece is, of course, you know, automation and AI and the risk of displacing workers is, is real. You know, we, we can't discount the fact that jobs um, that once were pathways to the middle class and often manufacturing, those are, are definitely starting to erode um, as we see more robotics um, come in, we see AI come in. However, that being said, we also know that technology is always destroying jobs, but it's also always creating jobs. So how are we going to start to use technology to create entirely new industries? Uh, for, as an example of that, you know, we're seeing that uh, there are more solar, um, solar energy workers and clean energy workers in the U.S. now than there are coal workers. So that's I mean, exciting to see that we're creating new jobs, but what do we do for those folks that are actually being displaced. I mean, that's a real painful transition for a lot of people that is um, something that we can't just leave them hanging, right? I mean, that's up to the broader conversations to try and find some answers. Um, so that's a, another reason that we're doing what we're doing is to say, well, how do we see more income growth and job creation in entirely new industries that we haven't even imagined yet? Um, and the great statistic is that some, based on some research done at Accenture is that I'm, for, I'm not sure. Yeah, the interesting statistic is 67% of um, students that are starting um, school today, you know, little kids, so the jobs that they're going to have in the future don't even exist yet. So that's, that's exciting, um, but we need to keep in mind that, that transition phase can be really painful. Those are just a couple things that we're well, thinking a lot about. Awesome. So, so, so we're we're headed towards the end, and I want to be sure to ask you where you think the ethical issues are. You're operating at a place that that's inherently about a set of ethical questions. But, but what are the ethical mm -hmm. questions in your work that you encounter every day? Yeah, and we've talked about one of them a little bit, which is the question of how do you inc define inclusion. Um, and making sure that we're being cognizant of diversity issues that go beyond economic issues. So that's one. I mean, some of the things that are more nuts and bolts for us, but are a real a real challenge that we need to be cautious about, is we are choosing organizations that are often in the pretty early phases um, that we want to support. And you know, often with startup organizations. Uh, they are cranking as hard as they can, and certain things may fall fall off the the map for them. Um, and so we had, for example, um, an organization that was using blockchain and some really interesting ways to create digital identities um, for folks in refugee camps. But they had run into some challenges with a um, a project. And so it's like, well, how do you make sure that that's not potentially a little bit of negligence versus malintent, you know, things like that. We want to make sure that this is a program that we're all of the prize money is going towards organizations that can really make a, a fundamental difference in people's lives. Um, and so our selection process needs to be very transparent, open, and fair. And we're, we're very committed to making sure it remains like that. Um, and then the, the last piece is, you know, how do you 
ensure that you're focusing on the right the right people to get into into jobs that they really need. Um, and we see some organizations come through that are helping um, professionals do their jobs better, but we need to remain really focused on saying, how do we help people that are really struggling um, and bring them along in the, the digital economy? Well, that's, 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 that's a particularly tough thing. Do you, do you um, consider privacy as part of, part of this thing? It seems to me that there's this changing view of privacy and, and at least one of those emerging views is that, is that your data is your asset to license and sell that you should be able to control. But that's, that's spotty. And, and when, I, when I talk to people who are, you know, between 20 and 35, say, they don't see privacy in the way that people in my generation, which is sort of their parents, um, um, see privacy at all. Privacy mm-hmm. means something different. Um, and and it may be, as, as I, I, I've thought, I'm changing my mind, but I've thought that privacy is, is something that's disposable in a digital economy. And, and I'm wondering if that's true. Um, and, and so, so are you, are you wrestling with privacy in your work? Yeah, we are a little bit. I think, you know, the, the point made about millennials having a very different attitude toward privacy, um, is true, but I anticipate that it is going to start to evolve and change, you know, given that we're now seeing examples of how, you know, um, disrespect for, for your privacy and for data. Um, can have some unexpected consequences, like you know the Cambridge Analytica um, scandal that's going on right now. People you know haven't necessarily thought through all the ways in which their data could have influence on the the broader world. So I, I anticipate that that's going to start to evolve and change um, in terms of the attitude that 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 millennial generation has. For us, as a result of that um, awareness, you know we want to be very respectful of the organizations that apply to our, our competition, um, especially because many of them are startups in the, the early phase of their business. And while they're all somewhat socially driven, um, they also are for-profit businesses that need to be aware of the competition. Um, and so whether they're in stealth mode or whether they have some shared financial information with us that they don't want to disclose publicly because they're looking for their Series A funding, um, we want to be respectful of that. And so we ask people to opt in to see if they would like to have their information shared with our network in ways that would help them to grow. So whether it's with potential investors, um, whether it's with potential partners, um, we want to make those connections, but only if those those organizations that have applied to the Inclusive Innovation Challenge um, want to have that kind of exposure. Uh, so we definitely think a lot about it, and um, we're, we're cautious with it, but we also recognize the value of you know, crowd, crowdsourced innovation um, and we'll be using the information that we've gathered over the first three years of, of running this challenge um, globally, you know, seeing over 1,500 organizations registered just this year. Um, what can we learn from that? Um, and how can we actually take that information, um, have some conclusive findings, 
that can be put to use and put to work by other organizations so they can be successful and, and drive a better future of work for working people too. Well, I, I am so jealous. I wish I had a job like yours. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pretty, it's fun. And it feels like we're doing something impactful, which we definitely are. Um, for both the startups and we're starting to measure, you know, the number of different jobs, new jobs that are being created by our winners uh, as a result of, of being affiliated with the Inclusive Innovation Challenge. So more more conclusive information on that to come. Good. So would you, this has been a great conversation. I wish we had more time. Would you take a moment and re, reintroduce yourself? Tell people how they might get a hold of you, and maybe more importantly, tell them how they can stay plugged into what it is that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Devin Cook, and I'm the executive producer and co-founder of the Inclusive Innovation Challenge at MIT. Um, and you can find more information about us at www.mitinclusiveinnovation.com. Um, please sign up for updates, learn more about what we're doing, and we'll keep you in the loop. Um, and we are a very global organization. We have events coming up across the world in the next couple of months. So depending on where you are in the world, we'd love to see you at one of those events as well. So um, definitely sign up for updates on our site. Um, and you can reach out to us directly at iic at mit.edu. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this, Devin. It's fascinating work that you're doing. I'm, I, I feel blessed to have had a chance to talk to you about it. Well, thanks, thanks so much, John. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Have a good one. Yep. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Devin Wardell-Cook, who is the executive producer and co-founder of the Inclusive Innovation Challenge at MIT. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye now.